Well, hey, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. This is Jason. Gary here. So now this is actually a special episode because we had you on stage and we actually had you on the Breakthrough Breakdown last week. Yes. But then on Sunday, we had you on for kind of a Q&A talking about conflict. And we had a whole bunch of questions who came in and we only have, we do a 70 minute service. Um, so this is actually a special episode that's going to appear separately where we're going to work through or walk through a lot of the questions that we never had a chance to get to. So Gary, thank you again for being here with us. Real quickly, can you share with everybody um, what's, tell just briefly your background, education, kind of what you do? Um, I uh, worked in mental health and substances for about 25 years and both in private practice and worked for a variety of facilities in a few states, including um, some inpatient treatment as okay. well as outpatient. And then you have your MFT, your marriage and family therapy? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay, and that's a master's degree, right? Right, it's a licensure as a license as a marriage and family therapist from Seattle Pacific University. Okay. Oh, you went, I didn't know you went to SPU. Yeah, SPU, and um, I do have my, my MS um, degree. Okay, that's awesome. Well, hey, we're really excited. Now, for those of you who are watching, we're actually video recording, and I have to admit, I didn't... <laughs> I forgot to tell Gary that we were actually doing a video recording, and he's like, I wasn't prepared for video. He thought I was just going to be doing audio. Uh, so it, he's dressed like that because I forgot to tell him we were doing a video and audio recording. Comfy well, clothes. Comfy clothes. Hey, it's cold outside. It's November, though it could be much colder. Uh, so here's the thing. We're going to walk through some of the questions, and we'll have kind of our normal dialogue around them. But uh, I might phrase some of these differently because some of these are kind of pointed. And we want to stay away from that as much as possible as, as also just from a legal perspective, we're not, this is not counseling that's taking no. place here. This is more advice giving, uh, here's a situation, here are your thoughts. And so, um, that, it's more, if I could, it's more, you know, looking at generic kind of generic situations that, um, can also be specific for some people and giving some perspective as well and some, some opinions on things, but nothing direct. And again, it is not counseling. We're yeah. not doing therapy here. Yeah, and that's very important. All right, here we go. What do you do in conflict when you confront correctly, but they won't listen or respect you in coming to them respectfully? Uh, so I think what they're saying is they feel like they've handled the conflict well. The other person is not handling so well, and they're also not being respectful um, how, what would you encourage or how, what advice would you give to them in the midst of that? Well, understanding first and foremost that if you do feel that you are right, you have to be careful of that kind of self-righteous indignation. Yeah. And which what I, I like to call it is, is putting somebody in a one-down position. Oh, yeah. And rather than having mutuality. Mutuality is not equality. Mutuality is having... Um, looking at the other person with the same amount of respect and esteem, like they are just as valuable as you. Yeah. So you have that mutuality. And what happens when mutuality shifts when there's in, in conflict is where we begin to be in a one-up position. Yeah. And that other person, we put them in a one-down position, very similar to like a parent-child. Oh, so yeah. We have to be very careful of that first and foremost, that we have that mutuality with the person. And sometimes if they're not listening or not hearing what we have to say, and again, we know that we're right, then we yeah. may need to take a break. We may need to step back and just have a timeout of some kind to be able to collect ourselves, collect our thoughts, and then maybe come back at a later time. 
I think uh, one of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about is, is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, mm-hmm. having a sober judgment about yourself. And I think, and I think, I think anybody in conflict tends to believe they're always right and the other person's wrong. That's why you're in conflict, right? And there was actually a second that the next question I'm guessing was probably from the same person or someone who's going through something similarly. They talked about, you know, when you handle things, you're handling conflict with righteousness and the truth rises, but they are ignorant of the truth. And it sounds like what I'm hearing you saying is that um, in those situations where you think you're right, first of all, I don't think anybody handles things 100% correct. The only person who no. did it was Jesus. No. <laughs> I, I'm 99.9, but... You I'm, still have that point, that, that point one? One that, uh, according to my, my wife. Was. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like what you're saying is to be cautious of not assuming, of putting yourself in the position mm-hmm. of power, right. but rather trying to come to a place where, hey... It's not about being right anymore. Sometimes we're so obsessed with being right, we forget the goal of righteousness, being in relationship. Is that kind of what you're and, saying? And having that sense of that, that attitude of humility. Yeah. To be able to say this person is a child of God. I mean, if you're both Christians, or one is and one is not a person of faith, that can be a, a little bit different. The yeah. two people of faith who are in disagreement and there's conflict, you do have a bottom line. You do have a foundation to operate off of, and that humility comes in. But everything as believers and even if the person is not a believer, is bathed in love yeah. and be able to say, can I love this person unconditionally no matter what they're saying, while still setting boundaries, of course, and, and being respectful of our, our own selves and our own uh, ideas about how things should be. We need to be able to respect those boundaries, but also to understand that this person uh, wrong, in, in our opinion, and we still need to be able to be compassionate and understanding. Yeah. And if you're seeking truth... Or if you're tr- just trying to be right, I think you're already in the losing position. Yes. Because yes. the goal is relationship. That's most of the time, and you know, I think about the, the people that I've had arguments with. Usually it's because they've stepped on something inside of me, and that's a part of me that's coming out. It's kind of bleeding mm-hmm. out for whatever. But if my heart is not to actually I, to go through conflict for the point of reconciliation, if I'm just trying to be conflict so I can be right, I'm already on the losing side of that. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, it's very accurate. And also that sinful peace comes in. Yeah. And that begins to rise. Uh, mutuality shifts. I like to call it a shift in mutuality. We start to try to put ourselves in that one-up position. That's that dynamic. And this person is in the yeah. one-down position. And it's very toxic. It's, it it's always ends in disaster. Yeah. So if you can keep that that kind of mutuality that's like this, not perfect, but it's like yeah. this, a little bouncy. You're going to have those ups and downs a little bit, but you keep it like this, it's a lot easier to resolve that conflict. That's good. To remember that, remember mutuality. And what are you needing? A second piece of that is what am I, what am I, what do I need out of this? Yeah. Do I need to be right? Or do I need reconciliation? Or do I need to be able to just be heard? Or do I need oh, to yeah. come to an understanding with this person as we sit together, maybe in the midst of tears or there's anger, there's fear, frustrations, whatever's coming in, what is the, we're all needs generators. So yeah. what are the needs that are being generated within me in the midst of the conflict? Mm, that's good. All right, this is kind of a sensitive one, and, and I think it's a good one to talk about in church. What do you do if their intention is actually to cause harm to you? And that's when a boundary, uh, uh, being a person of boundaries, our Lord Jesus had boundaries. God has boundaries, does he not? 
Jesus had boundaries. Yeah. And so understanding that boundaries are okay, and I think I said it before during the service, it's okay to have those boundaries. And sometimes if there's stuff that's going on, you know, harmful, you talked about some toxicity and some poisonous nature in relationships, we need to set those boundaries, but yeah. we need to have boundaries with consequences. Yeah. And if somebody crosses those boundaries, and not everybody is safe, Jason, not everybody in that's our right. life yeah. is going to be safe. So sometimes we're not going to have... Uh, and we're not going to be able to be as close and tight with somebody as we would like to be because of the toxicity and because of the damage that they could do by not respecting our boundaries. Yeah. I, I, so I know one of the things that I've seen happen, and I can't tell you how many times I've met with a, a spouse who's in an abusive relationship and, you know, sometimes physically abusive, mm -hmm. right? And it's so hard because that boundary piece with the consequence, people want to put up boundaries, but with no consequence, which means there's really no boundary. No, that's not a boundary. Because the boundary is there to say, if you break this, there's something is going to happen. Otherwise, yes. you're just saying, please don't do that. Yes. And I think what's hard, and, and I don't know if that's the intention of this question because they don't go into this, but there are some people who are toxic, malicious people. Yes. And, and some of them are Christians. Yes. Uh, sorry, that's, someone's at my house. <laughs> some of them are Christians. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean you're a safe person. No, no it doesn't. Um, how, would you, how would you encourage somebody who maybe they are in a toxic relationship? Mm -hmm. What's an appropriate boundary to set up? And someone actually a little bit later asked, what are examples of good boundaries? Right. And so let's say, and I'm, this is hypothetical, so please know, no one, they didn't write this in here. This is right. not a question that was asked. This comes from my own experiences in pastoring, where I'll have uh, I'll have a wife who comes to me and says, "You know, my husband's hitting me." Right, right. What's what's a healthy boundary, and then what's the consequence look like, and how do they work through the fear of that consequence? Because usually it's like, well, but if they do this and they find all the excuses to keep doing it, and it's always rooted in fear. So mm -hmm. let's let's take that scenario as an example. If a, a woman comes to you and says, "My husband is beating me," well, safety first. Number one is okay. safety for the children, for the individual. And if you're going to make or feel like you're going to make any mistakes or err on the side of caution and safety yeah. for the woman or the man, whoever is in the midst of it and the children. That's the first thing is to get that support in place. If something is happening uh, within the confines of the family, then the, the big problem sometimes within Christian homes is a lack of reporting what's going on. Yeah. I don't want to tell anybody it looks bad because we're presenting this to yeah. the church and to our pastor. There's Jason, we're going to wave and we're all going to smile. Yeah. But what's going on behind closed doors is uh, disastrous and very harmful. So understanding that there needs to be the, the consequence to the boundary that says, I'm not going to allow this anymore. And here's what's going to happen. You always need to add that. And so what would be an if example of this, what you could say if you do this? Somebody has pushed somebody. <clears throat> Let's say it was in anger. It was just whatever the case may be, that's not acceptable. So the, the other person says, I can't have you do that anymore. I can't allow that. If you're, you push me again, then there'll be consequences. And here's what the consequences. I will call law enforcement. I will do this, whatever yeah. needs to be done. And understanding within certain parameters, what needs to happen is that safety. Uh, the hitting, uh, again, if there's um, uh, substance use going on and somebody is getting behind the wheel and, yeah. and they've been drinking and the, the partner says, the spouse says, you know, I'm not getting in the car with you or I'm going to call law enforcement and something needs to be done. So the number one thing is that safety and being able to set that boundary with the consequence. Here's what I'm going to yeah. do if you hit me or if you talk to me like that, if you talk to me like a demeaning and abusively. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there are, I'm trying to remember how many, I think 
17, you know, 15 different forms of verbal abuse. Mm. 15 of them. Yeah. And we do them to each other every day. And understanding that that needs to stop with the boundary. You yeah. can't talk to me like that. And if you do, this conversation is over and it's going to damage our relationship yeah. and it's going to hurt our relationship if you continue. Would you agree that, and I think sometimes it gets sticky, is abuse is an ongoing pattern. We all make mistakes, right? And now some things are just flat out abuse, right? Sexual, physical abuse. Those aren't mistakes. That's abusive stuff. But I think when it comes to verbal abuse or emotional abuse, it's such a sticky line because sometimes it's perception. You said something mean to me and now you're abusing me. And that's how do you help people who are dealing with the emotional side of abuse to set up a boundary so that one, they're not, they're not actually just saying it's abuse when in reality their feelings just got hurt. Do you, does that make sense? Right. It, you know, Cause it's such to, a fine line. Trying to find that line between abuse. <clears throat> Typically when I'm working with somebody, a family or a couple or, or, or whoever that may be, what, what I'm looking for is that kind of pattern. What is happening to that other person? when this gets said yeah. and when that gets said. What is the long-term effects? You know, somebody looks at oh my gosh, you know that, I err, and they say something and, and the other person says, well, that just really, that wasn't nice. That really yeah. hurt my feelings. And the other person says, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. I apologize. That's different rather than saying, discounting is one of the forms of verbal abuse. Yeah. You know, Jason, that shouldn't have hurt your feelings yeah. when I said that. Is that part of gaslighting, all and, part and, of that and that's, stuff? That's, yeah. that's part of abuse. Uh, another one is um, looking at somebody and, and just kind of giving them that look. It's some kind of demeaning look can be another form of abuse as well. So there's all these different forms that come in, but realizing that when we're in the midst of it, to be able to set that boundary, and no matter what it might be, and we need to stick to it with the consequences, that's gonna keep us safe and keep okay. us, and it's also gonna teach that other person. And yeah. we wanna educate that other person in our life that this is our boundary, this is a boundary, yeah. this is who I am as an individual, this is what I'm going to allow, this is what I'm not going to allow. Yeah. I think the follow through of that is so difficult particularly when you're in a marriage dynamic because sometimes there's fear of finances or mm -hmm. you know whatever else is going to take place. Mm -hmm. And safety, I think you just said it. I want you to hear this. Jesus wants you safe. Yeah. When it comes to relationships, he wants you in safe relationships. That's not an excuse to get divorced. No. Um, I do believe that there are biblical grounds, but that's a different conversation. Maybe we'll tackle that on a whole different podcast. Mm -hmm. All right, um, let's see. <clears throat> Do you have advice for someone who has been trespassed in a manner where you find it very difficult to allow them back into your life? You feel like you've talked to them and you may feel like they're, it, to be in a relationship is dangerous for them. Mm -hmm. um, how would you handle that? And what do you do for those people who see these people in everyday life? I mean, they're, mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, we live in a small community, so it's really hard not to run it. Right. But it sounds like what they're asking is they feel like they've been harmed they're afraid to let that person back in. Now, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm curious because, again, I don't know who's writing these. I don't know the nature right. of them. Um, <clears throat> let, me, let me reframe that. If there's been an attempt at reconciliation mm -hmm. or if there hasn't been. So let's say there's not been an attempt to reconcile. So they've brought it. There's been no repentance or owning on either side because I thoroughly believe that most conflicts, two people are involved. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, you'll have a power dynamic where one person is really the perpetrator and the other person is just the victim. Um, how would you encourage them to work past that or either one to set up healthy boundaries for themselves in a way that one, they don't re-victimize themselves or two, um, sometimes I'll just be honest. Sometimes I feel like I, I can make a bigger case for things. 
not realizing it. How would you encourage them to think through Well, that? again, that safety is first, but also support comes in, being able to have the kind of support, have the kind of uh, prayer support that we need as a believer in the midst of it. And sometimes the most toxic people, unfortunately, can be within our own family system. They can be a, a spouse or, yeah. or another loved one. And that's, that's where sometimes we have to come to a point where understanding how safe one person can be as opposed to the unsafe piece that comes in. And it can be very damaging as with a spouse, with a husband and wife, if somebody is not safe in a variety of areas, but we love them and we want to be with them. And that's when we have to set those boundaries and say, we need to get some counseling. We need to get some help. We need to sit down and have somebody bathe us in prayer as believers, a believing couple, and work through this. Yeah. And, and sometimes it doesn't seem possible if the other person is not willing. Then you have to come to that place of, well, I I. I don't want to leave this relationship. I want to stay in it as long as my boundaries are not being crossed. And if they are being crossed, can I set those consequences? But also understanding that God can do the miraculous. Yeah. He can change change hearts. He can change minds. I've seen it, and I believe it. And I, there, to me, there's always hope in one way or another. There's always hope as a believer that we can take that to, to the Lord. But the most difficult place to be in is when there doesn't appear to be any reconciliation. What do yeah. you do in the midst of that? And there are times where we do need that support. We need to sit down and get some help and have some external sources and supports come in to do that. Would you agree that um, there's an old adage that pastor a pastor said this to me once is, your job is to take care of the garbage on your side of the street. You can't take care of theirs. Um, I think sometimes, and if I'm wrong, you're the expert, not me. <laughs> but I know as I've coached people, whether it be in marriage or in basic relationships, um, sometimes the first step to healing is, have you actually owned your part of that situation? And that self-examination is important. I'm glad you brought that up. That adult responsibility, we have to take responsibility for the adult decisions that we make and what we do yeah. and what we contribute perhaps, to the challenges within a relationship. Yeah. And that's difficult for us to do at times because we're right yeah. and they're wrong. They say, <laughs> us and, versus them, yeah. And, 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 and we, when we get that mindset, reconciliation is, is very, very difficult, if not impossible. But when we have that humility, and I find that in the midst of my own conflict times that God is really trying to teach Gary Burge some things. Yeah. But if I'm right then I don't want to listen to that unless I'm, unless I'm willing to kind of open up and say, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to do yeah. in a humble way? And what have I contributed to the toxicity of this relationship and yeah. the challenges that we face? What's my part in it? I know I, as I've walked, I've walked beside um, family members and friends and spouses who maybe they have a, fa a member who's an addict. Mm -hmm. And the hardest thing is when I say, well, you've enabled that addiction because you set boundaries and then you don't keep them. Uh, or you've not added, you, you know, if you, if you've got somebody struggling with alcohol and you've got alcohol all through your house, you're like, well, they should be strong enough to do it. Then obviously you don't care enough. That's your part of the problem. All right. Uh, so these, this is great. Okay, here we go. Uh, what do you do if you have conflict with an in-law for the sake of the marriage? Should you just not address it? I don't know anybody who's married who's ever had this question. This is such a, so how, what do you recommend for families that are having in-law conflicts? Is it better for the person just to avoid it, ignore it, or should they address it? Well, every circumstance has its subtle differences yep. when you're dealing with people. There can be substances. There can be mental uh, health issues, a lot of different things. But the way I like to approach it is 
is, if at all possible, and the Word says this, the Bible says this, if at all possible, be at peace. I was going to bring that up in the last one, and, yeah. And, 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 and I think that's it's good to live by, you know, even with the boundaries. And there are times <clears throat> where, um, I guess the way that I could put it is that, that there can be levels of safety yeah. with people. And let's say, for example, like somebody who's a one, totally safe, 100%. That person does not exist, by the way. Yeah. And a two or three, let's say, that there's some people that are nines and tens that are just not safe at all and everywhere in between. So being able to know that when I'm with this person, that there's going to be some topic, topics and some subjects that I'm not going to go there because it causes strife. Yeah. And I want to be at peace with that person. So I'm going to, it's not an avoidant thing. It's more, it's, it's, it's a good conscience and to be able to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to bait them because I can push their buttons. Yeah. I'm going to love them unconditionally where they're at, pray for them. If I need to set a boundary, I will. If I can be honest with them, look them in the face and say, this hurts me when you yeah. say, when you say things like this, or these behaviors really hurt me and it hurts our relationship so you want to tie that everything into relationship relationship okay. relationship sounds like we've got some similar theme stuff this is good all right here we go uh was i in wrong in the wrong for confronting someone with my feelings with how they make me feel not expecting it to better and to get make anything better but to have them understand why they hurt me okay so I'll, i'm going to add my piece onto this before you i'll get yeah. yours uh, I learned a long time ago, never say somebody makes you feel anything. Um, you can say, I feel, but I can't, I can't make my wife, my wife can't make me feel, and it's a choice mm -hmm. I make. What yes. I can say is when you say this, I feel this way, that's me taking ownership of my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to say that up front because I know this is still a habit I have in my own life is mm -hmm. I'll be in an argument, and the first thing I want to say is, you're making me... And that takes all response, takes any responsibility out of me right. on that. So right. I just wanted to get that out of the way because yeah. I know this happens all the time mm -hmm. where somebody immediately, their first part is to sit there and go, you're doing this to me. It's your fault. And it's just finger pointing as opposed to saying, hey, when you do this, this makes me feel this way. How would you encourage them to better that conversation? I, I would approach it from the standpoint, uh, and I, what I like to do with couples, even with families, is approach it from the standpoint of the relationship. Yeah. And Jason, I value our relationship, and I, I just I need to tell you something. I need you to know that when this happens or when this is said, I feel sad. I feel disconnected from yeah. you. I don't feel as close to you, and I really want to be closer to you, and I really want to be more connected, and I want to talk more about it, and let's address it. Jason, do you have some ideas that when we either one of us get to that place, what can we do to, to fix it and to make it better? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. And we want to take this out of it's us and them. Jason, you're the problem. You're the fault. You're at fault for everything. Yeah. And that puts us in that, that mutuality shift into that one-up okay. position. But we make it mutual by saying this relationship is important. And what can we do to fix this when we fight, when so, we argue? So I think, and I think what you're saying there is so one of the first steps might be is realize it's not an us and them, it's a we. Yes. Because that us, them, that's that one up, one down, yes. that's an us, them. Absolutely, every time. Yeah, so every time. I know one of the things, we had a, a friend of ours who was a marriage counselor years ago. One of the things that helped me to understand, and I remember they had us do, we had a, uh, we were play acting. We were at this big marriage seminar. I think there was like 10 other couples there, right? And he chose us. And they, they've known our family for years. We've known them for years. And Lisa and I think we're married like all of like a year, maybe two years. And I made this comment and I said, I know you. And then I said, and then I went on to talk about it and he stopped me and said, what do you mean you know her? I said, well, I know her. She's my wife. He goes, you don't know your wife. She barely knows who she is. Who do you think you are to say that you know? 
And and that really struck me because I I think about all the times that when fights happen, it's when somebody says, I know you, like they know my intention. And I think that kind of goes in the same thing that you make me feel. It's that way of now, now it's I've got the power. I know what your intention was. You might say differently. You're lying to me because I know you. How would you encourage somebody? In, and again, I think I, we actually talked about this. This is funny. I had several conversations this week from people wanting to get their perspective on how Sunday went. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to actually talk about this this Sunday, but this will come out after this Sunday. So I'm, I'm not spoiling anything. And you remember the one point I was talking about how do you take a beat and, I, and you said, you know, if you just looked at each other and said, well, can we just pray? Mm-hmm. And one of my friends went, if I said that to my wife, she would say something that I cannot repeat on this right now. <laughs> and, and here's the thing is like, and that's why I stopped this. I said, yes, that is what the ideal is. The ideal right. is that we would be healthy enough to say, can we take mm-hmm. a beat and pray? Mm-hmm. But most of the time when you're in conflict, you say all the wrong things exactly yes. the right time. Yes. That's when you say that you make me, I know, and prayer is the last thing you want to do. Um, how would you, what are some practical steps for, in this case, this person is talking about how do I, how do I communicate with them that the words they're saying are hurting me mm-hmm. without them putting the blame on that other person? Because here's the other thing. I'm also responsible for my feelings. Right. At the end of the day, I am responsible for what I feel. That doesn't mean my feelings are wrong. It also doesn't mean they're right. They're just feelings. Mm-hmm. How would you help that person to navigate so that they can have a healthy constructive conversation with this person mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you can express. What would you recommend? Well, Sorry, remember, I just talked way too much to no, do a that's setup. that's fine. Re- remember, too, that um, uh, we all have our own backpack of stuff. And Not me. I have no backpack. See, look, <laughs> and, I don't have one and, now. It's... And, and, and the, the healthiest people have their own backpack of stuff, and inside that backpack is, are, are their feelings, their hopes, their dreams, their goals. And where we run into problems is when we begin to do what I like to call backpack dabbling. Okay. Say to, more about that, yeah. We begin to reach over into somebody else's backpack and we take one of their little, uh, I actually have a backpack that I, I, have, I put rocks in it and this is what you, what you feel. And we reach over there and we take one of those little stones out, one of those little rocks out and say, well, here's the way you should feel. Oh, yeah. And here's the way that you, <clears throat> you should behave. Yeah. And we don't want people shitting on you. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to delete that. Gonna no, delete we can that. leave that in. That's uh, funny. And, and, and oh, so that's we, funny. If we understand if it's a backpack issue as opposed to what I like to call a boulder issue. Yeah. Somebody gets hit, hit with a boulder like Wiley Coyote. I know I'm dating myself. In the road no, road. I loved Wiley Coyote. Swish. I don't think yeah. we're allowed to show that cartoon anymore. It's <laughs> insensitive to, to roadrunners and coyotes <laughs> but, everywhere. But we get, now, if it's a boulder issue, somebody's being crushed by that weight, we need to come alongside them. Yeah. Yeah, like Aaron and her and with Moses and being able to lift them up. If it's a backpack issue and we're dabbling in somebody else's backpack, if we get really good at it, then we can take most of their backpack on ourselves. Mm. And that's the codependency. We take that. So we need to remember, is this a backpack issue? I'm dealing with this person. Am I taking responsibility for something I should not be taking responsibility for? Is this their stuff? And then that can really help us measure our response to be able to say, is this a boulder? Is this a backpack? No, nah, this is a backpack. I need yeah. to stay away from this. It is not mine. It is theirs. Stay humble. Stay respectful. Have good boundaries. But continue the conversation as long as it's safe with that knowledge that you don't want to dabble in their backpack. So if there was one, one reason why I would recommend therapy, um, when, I did, when I did my therapy, I did therapy two years ago, and I did a process called EMDR, which I know you're familiar yes. with. yeah. And I think I've even talked to you about it. It changed my life. It changed my perspective. It changed stories that I believed about myself, my past for decades. 
not even just years, decades. And I think sometimes we assume that we can work through those backpack issues on our, by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if there's any time that I would say get therapy, it's we all have stuff in our backpack. And I don't think any of us are really equipped to deal with those things by ourselves. And I think that's where someone like you is so helpful because sometimes I can tell myself words and stories that I think are helpful that are actually just adding new things into my backpack. And that's where the therapy helped me. Like I remember walking through and um, there are a couple, I had four, four core stories that those, those traumatic events, and that's all events are stories. Everything in our life is rooted in stories. Those four stories were inf- informed every other thing in my life. And I remember coming in and, and I was supposed to be doing my, this I didn't know it was going to be my last session of EMDR. But I went in to talk with her and she's like, you know, hey, is there a story? Is there, is there something from your past you want to talk about? And I said, well, I thought I did. But then I realized that as I started thinking through that moment, it connected to this and then it connected to that. And she goes, oh, then it's working. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because again, I'm not a therapist. I don't know what this stuff is. And she goes, well, no, that's the point of therapy is to help you connect dots. It's to help you make truths and to realize that you don't have a thousand different traumas. You might have five traumas that express themselves in a thousand different ways. And I think this is one of those, when you talk about that backpack and even the feelings, how many fights happen between couples because the husband or the wife says something and in their mind, it's innocuous. It's not that big of a deal, but for you, mm-hmm. and I was dropping a boulder on your head mm-hmm. because there's so much trauma connected mm-hmm. to that situation or that statement. That's great. All right. That was my little side plug. Big get therapy. Go see this guy or somebody. It's great. All right, here we go. Um, they asked this on Sunday, but I'm going to ask it again because I think we can articulate maybe a little bit more. What are Christ-like boundaries and what are unhealthy boundaries? So looking at the Christ-like boundaries, and we can start with that, recognizing what's in the Word. That's why it's so important to stay in the Word, study the Word. Yeah, I can't set Christ-like boundaries if I don't know who Christ is. And what he said, and even, yeah. even looking the Beatitudes, you know, looking through through that. I, I like to direct people first, you know, to to the Word. And the second time, the second piece to that is is prayer. Sometimes I, you're setting a boundary. I've had somebody say, you know, I, I was going to set this boundary, and I really prayed about it. I went to the Word, and you know, that's really I really didn't need to do that. Yeah. And I didn't need to go there. Sometimes we need some external support. You know, the Christ-like boundary may be you know somewhere obvious. You know, with abusive situations, yeah. you know, we can put a stop to that, and we can set boundaries. But sometimes uh, we can get into that place of, is this Christ-like? Are my behaviors Christ-like? Or, or are they not? Or is this a selfish... Like, for instance, and I hear this one, I hear it all the time in church, and, and it annoys the crud out of me. I'll just be honest. This one, they'll say, well, I don't want to do it. I don't have peace about it. Mm-hmm. As if peace is the go-to of whether... And, and I've, I've had people who have asked them to consider things. You know, I just, I don't have peace about that decision. And I want to go, tell me one place where Jesus says that you're going to have peace about doing hard things. And I, what they're really doing is it's, they're using Jesus as a, as a cop-out for actually doing something they just don't want to do. The avoidance thing comes in. And then they use Jesus to avoid. Like, the Holy Spirit didn't give me peace about that. You know how many things Jesus doesn't give me peace about that I have to do every day? Um, I think one example of an unhealthy boundary is sometimes people, they're perfectly fine venting on you. Like, I'll come... And I'm going to blow up on you, but the minute you try and say anything, well, I've got a boundary up. You can't talk to me like that, but I can talk to you that way. And I think, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I think that is one of those sides of an unhealthy boundary is when it's unilateral. Mm -hmm. 
when you get to disrespect the boundary and then when they try and correct it is would you agree with that is that an unhealthy yeah that's that's one of them there's a variety that's that one up one down it's position one up, again one down position. <laughs> Un unhealthy boundaries um can can be two extremes one is is too porous okay. uh, that everything gets in we really don't have any boundaries at all people can do whatever and it's unfortunate sometimes within within the church is that we think that we need to be some kind of doormat yes yeah. Roll over just anything that's going to happen. Let anybody do anything. You just uh, you know love them and continue to love them. And it is important to love them, but also to be able to set the boundaries. So they're too porous. What that causes causes damage to us. That kind of unhealthy boundary because that says we don't value ourselves enough yeah. to be able to set boundaries. So we're going to allow this to happen. The other piece is the other end, which is too strict. It's like a concrete bunker. Yeah. Where nothing gets in, and that kind of isolation comes in. They're both. They're both isolation. Isolation with too many, too many boundaries, too much of a strict concrete bunker type of boundary, yeah. as opposed to too porous, everything gets in. We want to have that um, kind of in the middle where we know where to set them. Some boundaries are going to be firm. You will not hit me. Yeah. You will not do this. You will not do that. You will not drink. You will not use drugs, whatever the case may be. And, and understanding on the flip side of that, we can have them where we're allowing some people to come into our life who are struggling yeah. we have a disagreement with yep. so we don't forego our boundaries but we allow them to come in and we have a healthy humble type of conversation with them for healing and for restoration and hopefully for reconciliation and it can be topical it yeah. can be the entire relationship i think one of the things that sometimes we forget is that reconciliation is a two-way street and sometimes someone doesn't want to be reconciled with. And at that point, that's when you wipe the dust from your feet and say, I've mm -hmm. done all I can to live at peace. Mm -hmm. um, and the other side, is sometimes Jesus doesn't actually call us to reconcile. You know, if somebody is continuing to be abusive or painful, sometimes you have to remove yourself from the situation. Yes. And in doing so, you're actually helping them because they can no longer sin against you. And you're helping yourself in the process. Um, all right, let's keep on going here. Uh, how do you decide when to have a conversation with someone about having new boundaries in the relationship rather than just having the new boundaries in place? I, I think what they're asking is, is you're in a relationship and maybe the boundaries need to change. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you go about, and it seems like a lot of these conversations have to do with boundaries and power yes. dynamics because that right. tends to be a lot of what conflict is. Yes. How do you set new boundaries? So let's say you've set up a boundary and now there's a new issue coming in. Um, how Let me give you an example. Let's say, yeah. for example, that um, your Christian couple, um, non, both of you were drinking, let's say. Just, I'm not judging drinking, but I'm just saying that you're both drinking, go out, you know, have some fun, whatever. And then um, one says, you know, I just, you know, I'm done drinking. I think I've got maybe a problem. I don't know, but I need to stop. Yeah. And, then they, and then they go to their partner, their spouse, or and say, you know, I would really appreciate it if we didn't have any alcohol in the home. And... It, here's what happens. Here's what it does to me. I'm not going to be able to go out and be around it anymore. Yeah. So that's a new boundary. That was never there before. So hopefully the spouse, the partner will look at them and say, I value our relationship enough. Yes, I yeah. think that's really important. It's important to you. And I want to adhere to that. I want to help you with that. And that kind of humility and that being humble and connecting with that person. It's sacrificial in some ways. Yeah but also is the relationship worth it. So that's a brand new boundary. And we can be developing brand new boundaries. We are uh, not just 
having needs all the time, but we're, we always have the need to be able to set boundaries. They come up all the time, yeah. and some of them are brand new, and not everybody is going to understand our boundaries. Yeah. Sometimes well, people are going to take offense to them. Yeah, well, Paul dealt with this in the book of Corinthians. You had uh, the, the Corinthians who were Gentile Christians who, because of their own immaturity, but also they came from a background of eating meat sacrificed to idols, and you had other Christians who were free to eat whatever they want, but every time that Gentile smelt the food or saw it, it made him want to go back to his old life. And for us, that sounds really silly until we realize what the ancient world was. And Paul basically says, hey, I don't need to do that. I'll never eat meat again if it's going to bless somebody. Stumble. And yeah, it's that stumbling block. And I think the hard part is, is that so often we're so, we're so about our protecting our rights that we forget that in Jesus we've lost our rights. The right I have is the right to love. And there is a sacrifice to that. But it's hard because I may not have any problem with alcohol. But if I have somebody I dearly love who's like, dude, even like, I'll be honest, if someone came up to me, I drink. But I don't get drunk. I, that's not something I enjoy doing. I don't mind a, a glass of whiskey or something like that. But if someone really came up to me who was a brand new believer and said, Pastor Jason, I know drinking's not a thing for you. But every time I see you, it makes me just, it makes me want to drink. I would not touch a drink. And uh, sometimes I hear Christians do this as well. Well, they're, well, you're being a stumbling block. I'm going to make them walk away from the faith because of this issue. Or are you using faith as a means to belittle? And that's not the same thing. But in love, there are things that I would avoid if it's truly going to bless somebody. But on the flip side, sometimes people will use that as a controlling mechanism to yes. say, and I, I mean, I've had more conversations than I can count on whether or not Christians should drink. Well, if you're an alcoholic, no. But the Bible doesn't say drinking is wrong. And that kind of falls in the same category. Mm -hmm. It might be a boundary for you. And I might, right. is, it, is it reasonable to say that I might actually say for a season, this boundary is acceptable, but I'm not going to change the rest of my life because eventually, you know, my, my father-in-law is a recovering alcoholic. He's been sober for 30 plus years now. Having a drink around doesn't bug him one bit, but when he first started, probably wasn't the case. And hopefully we're all maturing to the point where those things that are personal like that might change. Yes. So, uh, yeah. And, and there can be a lot of, uh, again, and that's a good point, there can be a lot of new boundaries. There's nothing wrong with setting new boundaries within the confines of your relationship or your, fam or your family. To be able to sit back and say, you know, this has changed for me. Yeah. This has changed for me. And if that person, there's that loving compassion, they're going to say, well, what's changed? What's going on? Well, here's what's happening. And here's what I need. Yeah. And, and I, I need your help in this. I need to partner with you in this. And that really goes a long way as opposed to saying, you got to stop drinking you know, because I don't want you to anymore because yeah. it bothers me. As opposed, there's a difference between that mutual, when that mutuality shifts yeah. and instead of bringing somebody into the relationship and into dialogue or the issue, we push them away. So that one up, one down kind of continues. Up, the one That's down good. is definitely push somebody away. I'm going to tell you what to do because I'm in charge and you have to do what I say. Yeah. It's very controlled. Or if you'd love me. If you love if, me, you'd do this. Oh, yeah. If you love me enough, <laughs> if you love me enough, you would do this, you would do this, you would do that. And again, that's very manipulative and it's very controlling. And, you know, Satan is, is very manipulative and he can, you know, he can cause other people to do things and bring pe people into our lives that can cause us to stumble as well. So we have to be very aware of the spiritual warfare. And you mentioned it before about understanding that concept. Yeah. We've got a bunch more questions, and I just for the sake of time, I don't want to go too much longer. Um, and maybe we'll do another one of these sessions later because I think this could be helpful. Um, I really like this one because I think this kind of gets to the heart of some of the stuff we've talked about. 
In regards to helping to heal or strengthen, what if talking about the issue helps one person heal but hurts the other person or puts a strain on the relationship further? And it's a good point because um, somebody can somebody can be healed, as I said, by talking about something while another person is damaged by it. Yeah. And so we have to take a look at, do we go there? Is it right for us to go there to put our healing to damage them so that we can be yeah. healed. Isn't that part of the 12-step program that you're supposed to make amends unless? Unless. It's, it's, and, and it's interesting, too, that within the confines of therapy, you know, when somebody says, uh, I don't know if it's true at every place, but places that I've worked, they say, well, I want, you know, all of my records and everything that I've ever done. What do we do? We look at that within the confines of oh, what's going to be damaged, what damaging, yeah. what may be healthy, what may not be healthy, and what crosses any kind of HIPAA regulations or whatever to be able to give them, you know, certain records. Yeah. And so we have to look at that. Are we causing harm in the midst of that? So for me personally, if if it costs somebody else's suffering for me to get better. I believe that there's got to be another way for me yeah. to get better. And, and maybe it takes time. Maybe they need their own healing. But you can talk about it briefly. Yeah. And if they mention, if you say to me, gosh, this is just really traumatizing. <clears throat> I'm being re-traumatized. I'm really being damaged and I'm not sleeping. We're talking about this stuff. Then I'm going to back off and say, well, God, give me give me some grace and mercy with this person. And to be able to, to step back and say, you guide and direct us. What needs to happen? Maybe wait till they come to me. Or maybe I need to find some alternative sources to be able to heal rather than damaging this other person or re-traumatizing. Now, sometimes people will avoid it yeah. just because they want to avoid it, and I don't want to talk about it because you're hurting me. So it, it's a fine line at times yeah. that we have to... And again, that's where support, that's where help comes in, to have somebody who's objective to be able to take a look at it and say, all right, I think this is the direction that we can go into yeah that you both can benefit from it. So I had, I had somebody who counseled me years ago, and I was, it was something to deal with Lisa, and they said, you know, by you bringing that up to Lisa, yeah, you feel better, but she's now feeling worse. And he recommended is that, and this is hard, because it so goes against everything that I was taught early on in marriage. You tell your wife everything. You tell your wife everything. And, and my friend, this, this counselor said, Unless it's going to cause more harm to her. The bigger issue is if, if you need to talk about something, do you have people in your life that right. you can talk to That's right. that can help you work through that? Sometimes that person isn't the right one. Um, sometimes it's an issue of victimization. You know what I mean? And again, I don't know the nature of who asked this question or why, but it's, it's like when somebody is on trial, right? And uh, rape as an example. Sometimes it, it causes more damage to the victim to have to get up there and testify Yes. And, and unfortunately, prosecutors, not prosecutors, defense attorneys sometimes know that. Mm -hmm. And that's why they want to push it, because they want to cause more damage to the victim to, in order to get their client off. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. it's part of it. And I think sometimes we can realize that our, just because it's going to help you, we have to ask the very question, is it going to really help the relationship? Or am I just doing it to feel better? It's like vomiting, right? Mm -hmm. Once I vomit, I feel great. But if I didn't, if I didn't make it to the right place, everything else gets ruined. <laughs> and, and I think you're right. I think understanding and having that kind of transparent conversation with the person that, that we need to dialogue with or we're having conflict with, and asking them, when in doubt, ask the question. Yeah. You know, if it's in your heart, there, it, can we talk about this? Are you up for this right now? Can we discuss this? Well, that's a hard one. Are you up for this right now? Because what do they say? No. Then you say, okay, when can we? <laughs> when can we talk about it? Well. Kind of give me a thumbnail sketch. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. I want to talk about this. Well, I'm, I'm really not in a place right now to do that. 
and they say, well, can we talk about it maybe in a couple of days? We can discuss it because it really would, I value our relationship and it would, I think we'd be a lot stronger. Now, sometimes as Christians, we may come together and say, I don't really want to talk about this right now, but, you know, we can pray about it, even even it's silently, you know, yeah. pray, pray together. You don't have to, you know, talk out loud, but you can pray together and sit down and just be right there together in God's presence and, and, and pray about it. Yeah. So I have a question, and I think I'm, I will end on this one, and I, I want to be careful with it. Um, I'm going to ask it because I feel like it's something that would be helpful for our church to, to, for church in general, for Christians to work through, and it has to do with the LGBTQ stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll word it, I'll preface it first with the story, and then I'll ask the question. And what I'd like to do is talk about how are, how are healthy ways that we can handle things. We may not always be in agreement, okay? Mm-hmm. So as Zion, we hold a traditional view of sexuality and marriage. We hold one man, one woman. However, we also believe that Jesus loves everybody and that Jesus wants to meet people where they are and that it's God's job to fix people, not mine, not yours. Uh, I remember when Caitlyn Jenner first came out. Remember, that was all over the news. This must have been, what, eight, nine years ago, eight years ago? And I had somebody who said to me, they said, well, if, if Bruce Jenner came to my church, I don't care what, what he's dressed like. I'm going to say, hey, Bruce, what would you say, Pastor Jason? I said, I'd call her Caitlin. And her response, well, the person's response was, well, aren't you condoning, aren't you condoning what, what we believe is sin? You know, that, that's, that she, Bruce was a man, now he's saying to be a woman. And I remember my response was, that might be true, but I want Caitlin to know that she is safe and loved and that I don't have to agree with somebody to respect their boundaries, to respect who they are. Would you agree with that? And understanding that, again, bathing everything in love and compassion, and looking at people as people, as children of God. So here's the question, and and they they asked it, so I'm going to put it out there, but, um, and I think this is, you know, again, we live in rural Iowa, (laughs) where we don't have a lot of this, but I think this is a healthy conversation. I just listened to a great podcast by a guy named Preston Sprinkle, who holds a traditional view of marriage and sexuality, but has done tremendous ministry within the LGBTQ community. And he just spoke at what's called the Revoice Conference. And I was listening to it, and he was talking about why we need LGBTQ people in the church. And and specifically, it's not because we're saying we agree. It's because we need to have compassion and understanding and that we can love people where they are and let Jesus do the work. And so here's, here's the question. Let me see if I can find it again. I just had it here. Sorry, it's all these questions. Look, look at how tight that is. That's Oh, here it is right here. How do I work through conflict with people who don't accept my LGBTQ identity if I've already talked about it with them? And we talked about this earlier, and I, at first I wasn't going to do it, but I actually feel like we should. I feel like I'm, I could be wrong. How, how, would you, how would you encourage people? Because this is a, such a divisive issue within the church. And like I said, here at Zion, we hold to a biblically ethic that the Bible says this, and we ultimately hold the scripture. But how do we allow somebody who is in the LGBTQ community, who clearly this person is saying, how do I tell them that you need to respect who I am? What does respect look like? How do you meet them in that level playing ground? Well, mm-hmm. while also, maybe this person has a strong biblical conviction. I just don't believe you're, I don't believe you're honoring what God desires for you. How would you encourage that? I, I, my encouragement would, you know, for this individual is that you can't, again, it's a backpack issue. This is my stuff. They have their stuff. And understanding that um, sometimes there can be a meeting of the minds. We can come together 
and in humility and with compassion and, and love, but also understanding where that person may be very different from where you're at. But when you operate, I think that when you operate from that, that place of love and there is conflict, then there may, be, there may be a point in the relationship where you can't necessarily go deeper. Yeah. And so there's a limit. That's the boundary is you limit how you, far you, you can go. You, you, you set that boundary, yeah. uh, whatever that might be, and you set that boundary. And again, it's your boundary and you own it. Boundaries are for health. They're for safety. Their boundaries help other people know where we stand, what we're going to allow and what we're not going to allow them to say or to do. And again, that safety is, is number one. And to be able to look at yourself and keep your own backpack of stuff without dipping over into somebody else's backpack yeah. and say, here's who you need to be, here's how you need to feel, here's how you need to be. Oh, that's good. Can be very, very, very damaging. But knowing ourselves in the midst of that compassion and love. And again, remembering that that love has to be the foundation to everything that comes out. So if I'm hearing you correctly, let's say that both parties are listening to this, right? Mm -hmm. So for the person who is LGBTQ identifies in that, regardless of whether or not you agree with that biblically or whatever, sociologically, mm -hmm. you can still respect a person. Yes. And respecting that person means if they're saying, please do this, you should try everything you can to respect that, regardless if you agree with them, mm -hmm. because that's what respect is. Mm -hmm. um, respect, and, and I think this is where our culture has gotten so off the rails, mm -hmm. Um, you're intolerant to disagree with somebody. I can respect you and not agree with you. I can respect you, and unless it clearly is causing more harm to other people, like this is why things like racism is so dangerous, I can respect the fact you're a racist, but I'm not going to use your language or do things that are going to cause harm to other people. But this isn't going to cause harm to other people. It's causing harm to this individual. And so when we look at issues of sexuality, which is really complex in the church, I mean, that's what this is a tough issue, which is why, yes. why I felt like we need to talk about it. It's becoming more and more prevalent in our culture, mm -hmm. and we can either bury our heads in the sand and act like it's not happening as a church, um, which is one of the reasons why, if I could highly recommend, if, if you're looking at this stuff, uh, Preston Sprinkle's book is phenomenal. Uh, the work that he does is so good. And it's specifically what's good about it is, is that he, he takes a compassion view and has friends that he doesn't agree with. He even has them on his podcast, people who he does not agree with, and he's so respectful in the way he handles it. I think the church as a whole, we're going to have to more and more learn how to work through this because it's only going to get more tumultuous as we get further mm -hmm. along in culture. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I agree, and I think, again, going back to this, I know I've said it so many times, is operating from a place of love, yeah. operating from a place of compassion, and humility and keeping that mutuality within our relationships yeah. instead of trying to develop or even inadvertently developing a one-up, one-down position. Yeah. Uh, what, how would our churches be different if we operated uh, biblically out of love, yeah. how we're supposed to, and have the kind of compassion that our Lord, what, what a different, I probably would put me out of a job. <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be honest, that's what I'm praying for. Yeah. I heard, uh, uh, this is from Preston Pringle's Preston Sprinkle's book, People to be Loved. And I'm going to butcher the story a little bit, but uh, and we'll end with this. But the story was this. He, he met with a person who uh, was talking to an individual who um, uh, struggling through sexuality, went and met with the pastor and previously met with pastors. And the pastors just tried to tell him what they were doing was wrong. You're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin. And met once, started going to this one church and the pastor said, we'd love to meet with you. person fully expected them to just bash them. And instead, the pastor's response is this. How can, I, how can I speak into the rest of your life when I've only read one chapter out of a very long book? 
And I need to know all the other chapters in the book before I should ever speak to these things. And I think that's part of what love is. Love is realizing that we are multi-chaptered books. Yes. And we often only have access to a couple chapters and we'll make so many judgments and assessments and lack so much compassion and empathy because we've read two chapters out of a 50-chapter book. Um, well, hey, Gary, thank you so much yes. for being here. We'll do this again. This was fun. I think we'll talk about other things. Um, hey, do me a favor. If you found this helpful, share it with somebody else. Again, this is a special episode. If we could do that. Remember the old CBS when it would come on and the, the special? And if we could do that, we would. Um, I just so appreciate you, your willingness to be here and being there on Sunday. So I'm even more excited that you're back here in, in Iowa. <laughs> And living literally like you're like half or two blocks down from where we're sitting right now. We moved at the perfect time. This is just, you know, it's beautiful in Arizona. And I'm going to start breathing here. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. Gary, thank you again for being here. God bless and uh, hopefully see you on Sunday.